Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. You didn't do an intro. Oh. I didn't catfish you for a... No, you tried to. You tried to catfish me. Well, you can get it. You can pluck it out of the ether from the... So I'll just do. I'll just use that bit. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in the Ring RSC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, man. How are you? Very good, thanks. Yes. Rested, content. How's tricks? How's your week been? I had an unexpectedly good night uh, on a Tuesday night, just catching up with a couple of friends ah. uh, who I hadn't seen in a while. We ended up just like, one of them was back from going on her first post-pandemic holiday, so we just caught up for a bit of food. Turned to like one of these unexpected nights out when you just want to go out, but you end up kind of going out, out and just, just wandering around, nothing, nothing dramatic, but just wandering around um, my area of Berlin. And it was really just, just nice. You know how you'd value those moments a lot more now, I think. Well, I certainly do. Certainly those post-pandemic moments of just being out, seeing your friends and just realising what a luxury it is to have good friends within reach. You know, it's a bigger luxury is doing a podcast with one. Oh God. Not that I'd know. <laughs> no, <I> mean, <laughs> there he is. There he is. <laughs> uh, we're going to do a mailbag today, but before we do, some admin. Yep. Flo Lloyd Hughes made her debut on Wright's House this week. I believe the best debut of the season so far. What a splash. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> she was ace. You and Flo were on Wright's House. So if you haven't checked that, go and check it on the Ringer FC feed now. Obviously, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. That is the most important bit of admin. Yes, indeed. Uh, quick one, actually. For those who don't follow us on socials, you might have missed it. So remember we did the Pride t-shirts. I wanted to say thanks to anyone who bought one because we ended up raising 2,900 euros, which we donated to the AKT charity, which specializes in support for 
LGBTQ plus young people in the UK experience homelessness or living in hostile environments. So massive thank you to everyone who bought a t-shirt. All of the proceeds went to the AKT. So I wanted to say thanks on here, just in case people don't follow us on socials. We'll do some more t-shirts soon and we'll be donating the money to another cause for those ones as well. So stay tuned for those. We're going to be announcing some t-shirt stuff in a, I don't know, a little bit further down the line, some, some new merch stuff. But yeah, thanks to everyone who bought the t-shirts. Yeah. Other admin, usual, if you'd like to rate and review, please do so. Be very kind, as long as it's a nice one. Any complaints at Okwonga on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> there he is. He's done it again. Hey, listen. No one's, no one's actually done it. No one's actually come at me, to be honest. Because you muted them all. And yeah, Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. You can find all the tunes we play out with each episode. The newest one is at the top. So today we're going to do a little bit of football. Very, 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 very small amount. A couple of minutes, maybe tops. And then we'll get onto the mailbag. So let's do it after this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Alright, before we quickly touch on the Super Cup, the German Super Cup, which is essentially a friendly, friendly, non-friendly. Right. A friendly that everyone wants to win. Indeed. Let's quickly touch on the Copa Libertadores because it's almost semi-final time. Federico Zaracho scored an absolute, absolutely brilliant goal. Cross from Hulk as uh, Atletico Mineiro beat River Plate. 4-0 on aggregate to go through to the semi-final against Palmeiras. The semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores will be played on... 22nd of September and then the finals in November so we'll be covering that yeah. at the time kind of always creeps up on you the Copa Libertadores all of yeah, a sudden really the semi-finals and you're like what? really does it's such an epic tournament as well I know the celebrations for that goal were like because yeah. it was a really big one because they were only 1-0 up from the first leg and then that second one would kind of set the tone for the rest of the game Hulk scored as well and then Zaracho got a, got a second to beat there. River Plate as well such a great confidence boost given the, their pedigree especially in recent years mm. And Hulk has had a real journey in terms of a career. Like he bounced back from that, you know, grim period of the national team. And he's really, there is a player actually, I look at Hulk and, you know, you can't tell a lot about someone's life on the Instagram, but there is clearly a human being living his best life. I really and, enjoy like seeing those kind of iconic Brazilian players go back to Brazil to, in the later stages of their career. I would love it. I love it. Yeah, but it, it makes you realise how much they love it. Like how much yeah. they, and it makes you, what's the word? Um, I mean, some might say there should be a limited amount of sympathy for multimillionaires living away from home, but, you know, they go to environments that are really entirely different, entirely different. I like see the amount of Brazilians that go to like Ukraine, for example, play for Shakhtar, and they really just go and make a life of it. Paulino is a similar one, you know, who just went and has made a life himself in China. Shout out to Hulk. Great to see him thriving, doing his thing, hulking out. Hulking out. <laughs> in Europe, there's obviously some of the Women's Champions League early stages qualifying rounds taking place. It's, uh, do you know what it is tonight? I don't know. Oh my gosh, you're over. The European Conference League, isn't it? It's, oh, it's the Europa League qualifiers and the Conference League qualifiers tonight. Are uh, Union playing tonight? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's back. European football is back. European Goodness. football already. 
But there was a Super Cup in Germany, Bayern beating Dortmund, 3-1 in Dortmund. Although I thought this was quite a good game. Yeah, yeah. Julian Nagelsmann's first trophy as a manager in his, what, second Bayern game? Second can I Can I say this one game? thing? One thing I will say. So, headline is that Lewandowski scores a couple um, and Muller gets another one. Royce gets an absolute scorch, which we'll probably talk about briefly. But one thing I want to say, are people ever going to find a an antidote for the Lewandowski goal just before half time. Oh, it's, it's just like, really? That is just, that is, that needs, I think that needs an essay of its own. It's the equivalent in tennis of breaking a serve. Like, Robert Lewandowski is such an amazing footballer, but like, oh, he really does kill a lot of people's buzzes. He does. He really is. Captain, he's literally Captain Buzzkill, but in a football him, sense. The Bundesliga without him completely changes the entire dynamic, uh, changes the, the entire league. Yeah, well, question. I mean, yeah. this morning there's like some rumours coming out from Sky UK that, he wants a new challenge and he wants to move to another elite club in Europe before he's 35. But he's only 32, so he's got a little while. But I could see him at City. Pep loves him. They've got the money. Yeah, that's a terrifying move. Mm. I mean, I personally think that's a better move than, than buying the other guy, but that's my own view. Buying Harry Kane? Yeah, I think so. I think so, actually. I, I, that's my personal view. I know that he's older than Kane, but you've remarked on his incredible physical conditioning, but also the range of what Lewandowski gives you he is a consistently devastating forward. And that's no disrespect to Kane. It's just that Lewandowski is truly, like, I think the only other player, you know, him, Lukaku and Haaland, there's very little between any three of them. I, I, and Haaland at the moment is slightly, I don't know though, there's something about Lewandowski's consistent ability to dominate in every space. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, what I would say about that is just that I think... Obviously, Lukaku and Lewandowski are very experienced. Holland isn't, and Holland still yeah. as as devastating as Holland is, and he is unbelievable for his age. There are a couple of times where he still just shows that little knack of lack of nous. Oh yeah, no. And what I would say is, in terms of their peaks, I don't think there's that much between their peaks, but I think the consistency that Lewandowski has shown is that's unparalleled. Lewandowski's career seems to be very LeBron-like, actually, in the sense that he just gets. Maybe he didn't come on the scene as devastating as LeBron or he wasn't as highly tipped in his, in his early years. But as he gets older, he seems to look more in shape. Yeah. Get even fitter. I think he is in that conversation. Like, he is in, I think he's greatest of all time conversation. Like in terms of strikers. Oh, in terms of number nines for sure. Yeah, in terms yeah. of number nines, Lewandowski is in the conversation. Like he's one of the great, obviously he's obviously one of the greatest nines of all time where he is in the ranking. It actually doesn't even matter. Mm. There are very few number nines at any point in history whose destination has been essential to the destination of the league itself. Mm. And he's one of them. Mm. Bayern were helped by, with a couple of uncharacteristic, well, maybe one uncharacteristic error from Mamola Kanji. Yeah. The way he was playing out. He made that error for, was it the second Lewandowski goal? Yeah. It's unlike him, actually. That was bad. He was kind of just walking out with it. Yeah, yeah. We'll see with Dortmund. I think they, they showed signs of playing some really good stuff. Daniel Marlin came on and looked quite good as well. Like, he looked busy. Holland was unlucky. Like, the Holland could have had a couple before Bayern kind of pulled out in front. Dortmund's record against Bayern recently has just been dreadful over the last few years. Yeah. Um, I think since they won that 3-2 in 2018, I don't think they've won. I think they've lost every game since. And both teams picked good sides as well. Yeah, they did. Again, it's really early days in the Bundesliga. And I mean, I don't think the games we're seeing like Bayern and Dortmund would decide the league necessarily. I think, as we saw last season with like the Holstein Kiel Cup game, for example, like Bayern yeah. will slip up randomly out of nowhere. And I think they'll do that this season. There are always potential possibilities there for, for Bayern to slip up in certain 
It's important for Dortmund not to get caught up in those two games, isn't it? Yeah, the key for for Dortmund is basically what happened last season was they just fell way too far behind too early in the season. But then the season before that, they were nine points out in front at the break. So it's kind of like, well, if Dortmund got into a position this season where they were like nine points out in front at the winter break, I think the intensity of Marco Rosa and still having Edin Tezic there as like a sporting director or in a kind of sporting role now, technical director, I think he is. That's a different level of intensity to when... And Royce peaking as well. Yeah, that's yeah. Like that's, yeah that's, that's a different yeah. level of intensity to when it was Lucien Favre there. And I, was, I liked Favre. I thought he was a good guy. But I think that in terms of intensity, Rosa seems to like really match the level of intensity that I think a Dortmund crowd and side kind of need. I think Terzic did that last season. It's a shame that fans weren't around last season because I think Terzic was... Obviously, he's a, he's a Dortmund fan. That may have pulled them along a little bit further. But they ended up with a cup, remember? This season, with fans starting to steadily come back into the stadiums, someone like Marco Rosa there, I think, will actually be probably quite a good thing in the long term. Yes, and actually, last thing on Dortmund before we bounce, Royce coming up with, oh, you know, what we, this so week's good. John John McGinn Award for forgotten great goals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and also because uh, Holland had the go- had the ball in the net and it was disallowed for offside, but it's good to hear the uh, the Westfalen Stadion's nets springing back into life the clang, with yeah. the crowd there. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to hear it. It's nice to hear it. Uh, All right, should we do mailbag? Let's do it. I'd like to start with this one from Jordan Rizzieri. Shout out, Jordan. I hope I've pronounced that surname correct, Jordan. So she says, I saw Ryan just watch the Malice at the Palace documentary. I did. Have you seen it yet, by the way? No, no, no. I've been reading. I've been watching lots of outtakes and alternative histories and it's brilliant that some of the commentary on oh it. Yeah. my god like i honestly obviously for those who don't know i'm a pacers fan i thought i'd seen and read all there was to see and read about this holy shit if you haven't seen it it's uh, untold the malice of the palace it's on netflix go and watch it it's unbelievable uh, Jordan's question says, so ryan just watched malice at the palace with the joy understandably abounding as fans return do we need to keep in mind both the powerful good and bad we potentially bring to any sporting event? How can we understand our responsibility to one another and to the game itself? I really like this question because it was something that was so glaringly obvious through the documentary, and this isn't a spoiler or anything, and obviously most people who are aware of the situation know, will know what happened. But it really started to kick off because essentially a fan threw something at Ron Artest. That was when it really started to go. It was very much contained on the court, right? And that's yeah. what ignited the whole thing what you saw was just it was very much like a herd mentality right people just literally started to throw anything they had beers drinks chairs some dude literally threw a, threw a chair and then walked like ran off it did strike me as how wow fans bring so much good to sport but sometimes in some sports i should clarify it's not like I, I, it would be rare for example for you to go to a tenant like to go to wimbledon and see someone like yeah <laughs> trying to pull their chair out of center yeah. court and lob it at like Roger Federer or something like that. Who would lob a chair at Roger, Roger Federer? Probably Novak no Djokovic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take your mask off, Rog. Yeah. <laughs> Free yourself. What I will say with fandom, Jordan, is a lot of people are coming back to the stadium and it's very cathartic and there's a lot of excitement and joy and maybe pent up frustration. It's hard to quantify the last part, but maybe that... There's a lust and a desire to connect again, for good or bad. For good and bad, actually, right? And people are kind of warming up to the world. So I almost feel like it's a question of easing yourself back into it. Obviously come back in with the joy, but ease yourself back into it. And also like, 
I'm like, it sounds like a small thing, but even me getting back out and like, hanging out with friends again on a very small level, I realized this sort of tentativeness in myself, like just to get mm. out and about again, like, you know, going into spaces without a mask on, for example, even though you're allowed not to, because you've got your vaccines and everything. So it's almost like, if you think about that uncertainty that's in a lot of people magnified across the course of a football crowd, it's, it's a weird dynamic maybe for the first few games. I would just say, whatever level you're getting back into, obviously enjoy yourselves, but sort of ease yourselves back into it in the sense of, if you find yourself getting on a player's back and getting frustrated, almost just check yourself and be like, are we doing a bit much here? And that, that sounds dramatic, but it's almost like, are we kind of doing the most because we haven't had the chance to emote like this in public for a while? So I think that was my only thing I would say in terms of a caveat. I think there's always a balance, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think you've seen it in the in England, for example, already. We've seen, I think, a bit of a, an, some examples of good and bad. I think the Brentford... I mean, the support the for Brent, SAC has been yeah, incredible. the Brentford applause was amazing. There was some questionable chanting about Rashford and Sancho at the Man United Leeds game. Yeah. There was some not particularly nice chants directed at Billy Gilmore at the yeah. Norwich-Liverpool game. I mean, but that's like chanting and I think that's obviously that can still really really overstep the mark but I think what we what we have to keep in mind or what I think that you saw at like the Malice of the Palace doc was like how when something snaps how easy it is for fans to just roll with it you know and how a lot of the time it's quite easy as fans to remove themselves from blame or responsibility because it's kind of like the focus is always on the players but I don't know man I think that a lot of time without football has maybe you are going to see a lot of bad stuff. Like obviously everyone saw the video from, was it the, some Cafe Nero in Manchester with a load of Leeds and Man United fans just kicking off outside. Oh my goodness. You're wow. going to get that because it's yeah. football and unfortunately that's, it's the whole hashtag not all fans thing, but that goes with a lot of it in, in, yeah. in certain yeah, parts of the world. Yeah. I would like to, um, you know, I think we're probably optimists. Yeah. Got to be working with each other, huh? <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to believe that it's for some kind of reason exactly <laughs> has to be a point to this I mean the half full podcast Otherwise, yeah, the, oh, <laughs> wow but I, I, the, the optimist yeah. in me is is hoping that fans returning after so long without it I mean this is something we've never seen in football or right. sport in general like we've never seen a sustained fan lockout globally yeah Certainly not. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly not while football is actually still going. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we've never seen this yet. I'm hoping that that will maybe bring out the more positive aspects of fandom. I think because so much has happened socially and politically since the start of the pandemic as well, I'm hoping that that shift, which a lot of it came when fans weren't in the stadium, and a lot of the movements that have been happening, happening just in the world in general, I think I hope that that gets taken into stadiums and hopefully fans see how positive their voices can be and use it in that way because you can still support and be positive and you can still be intimidating to the opposition without lines you know overstepping the mark and it's funny that on that note of uh, positive things from fan bases i was out the other night on this night out and i was um got talking to an union fan in a local bar uh really nice so guy behind the bar massive union fan big union tattoos and the guy was talking to us a season ticket holder and they had this um group of supporters that basically work to make their fan base more inclusive. Because, mm. you know, Union's got a diverse fan base and they've got like very progressive segment and they've also got a segment that is not so progressive. Yeah. And they were doing a lot of work and he said, oh, like he said, we're just a bunch of white guys, you know, ultimately we're amazing. We're all, he said, our supporters group, the kind of core that organizes stuff. He's a home and away fan. He goes home and away with Union and loves them. 
and he got out his supporters card, it's his wooden supporters card, wooden uh, season ticket. And on the ticket was, I think, Grenzenlos Union. And it was really about just welcoming people into the club. Mm. And he said, yeah, we're really proud of this initiative. We're doing more with it. And he was, bless him, he was quite tentative. He was like, we're a bunch of mostly, we're a bunch of white people, mostly guys. Are we doing the right thing? And I was like, this is the work that matters more yeah, than ever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I said, look, I'm going to go and talk about this and be like how impressed I am. And I, I said, even that interaction is, is a big deal. So I'm just glad you're doing this work. So yeah, like I feel really, I don't know, I feel quite positive about this in terms of what people are doing. Because I think fans have realised, especially with the Super League stuff, their voices are still mm-hmm. valuable and decisive. Yeah, I think in, in, in England, it was the first time in a long time that fans actually felt like they were being heard again. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah, lovely question. Thanks, Jordan. Oh, uh, look at these two. The uh, co-honchos of the Stadio fan club. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Kunle and Bob. Uh, Kunle and Joe. Bob Burner, Cheeky Ball Boys. I'm going to use these two questions together because they'll love that. Uh, yeah, they will, they will. Right, Bob says, what are you guys most positive or excited about for this season? And Kunle says, what are your hot takes for the season? They're like, do you know what those two are? They're like the devil and the angel in the cartoons. Who's who though? Kunle's definitely the devil. You can't Kunle's, like, Kunle's <laughs> one of the most mischievous dudes on Twitter. Trying to get us to do takes, trying to get us to do takes, yeah. trying to get us in trouble. Right, what are you most excited about for the season? Or positive about? Atleti winning the Champions League. Oh my God. There, there you go. <laughs> get, you, get you a man who can answer both. There you go. <laughs> there's, there's your hot take. There's your hot take. That's a rare display of efficiency from Musa Gonga there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You're going for Atleti in the Champions League? Yeah, why not? Believe. One nil over PSG in the semi. In every round. <laughs> in every round. It'd be like a Sergio Ramos own goal at the Parc de Prance in the first leg. And Atleti yes. will yes. absolutely shithouse their way to a nil-nil draw in the second leg at the, at the Wonder. There's nothing Simeone would love more than going... Are you kidding me? It's not, it's, it's, it, he'd, he'd love it. In fact... Dude, if PSG get Atleti in the Champions League, <laughs> I'm going. I'm going. I want, I'm obsessed with that concept. I'm obsessed with that possibility. I'm going. I'm just going to go <laughs> AWOL. Like, Atleti PSG. Simeone's desperate. He'd want the second leg, but he'd want the second leg in Paris. He would want Paris to be silent. He'd love that. That's what he would want. One nil at home and then nil nil away. It's Actually, peak. Yeah, it's it's that peak is Simeone, isn't it? Very questionable gestures and... Like, towards the kind of yeah, the groin area, his, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. below the belt. Yeah. Because it'd be deadly quiet. The touchline mic would be picking up some very questionable Spanish language. <laughs> <laughs> but then he'd like instantly snap out of it when he'd see Leo Messi walk past and give him a really big emotional hug and like grab his face. Yeah. And he'd be like, no, don't worry, don't worry. Don't worry. We, can, we go again. Yes, yeah. the suffering is necessary. <laughs> and Rodrigo de Paul is necessary. <laughs> exactly. Joao Felix reveals the merest hint of a neck tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> ESPN did a piece on this. It's a great piece. I should get the author of it, but um, excellent piece by ESPN on Diego Simeone. And there's one that just came out a couple of days ago. It was a segment about Gerard Felix and him understanding the suffering is essential for the team's success. And I was like, whoa, the way he's talking. I do anything the manager requires. I'm like, wow. Oh, he's, he's purely I really want to. I really want to see PSG at their team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Positive or excited about the season? I mean, going to the women's game for a minute, I'm really excited about the Women's Super League. I'm really excited to see Nikita Paris, Nikita Paris scoring on her debut in Arsenal's Champions League qualifier in the week. It looks like Chelsea again though, doesn't it? Because City have been weakened a bit by Mewis going. 
Yeah, they've made some good signings though as well. Shouts to Ryan Middleton. He asked us the question, favourite transfers on uh, the summer on the women's side. Actually, as much as I hate that she's gone to Man City, that Vicky Lasada transfer is really good. Really yeah, good. really, it's really important. Isn't it? Should help them at the uh, European level as well. I mean, for Wolfsburg, Jill Rod is a massive signing. It's a bit of a statement for the league as well, isn't it? Because yeah. they had lost, they've lost some star power. We also had a question from uh, Catriona about thoughts of the head of the women's Super League season. So a three-way title race, I think that's fair. I don't think Man United will be in. And no, they feel that after, no. Using, after losing no. press and Heath. Anyway, we need to get back to these hot takes. Yeah, yeah. But my hot take what, is that most, the So the most positive thing of the season. So I, yeah, some stuff in the women's Super League. In Europe, I'm quite looking forward to seeing what Sevilla do this year. Uh, I love, uh, no, it's funny you mentioned this, actually. I was thinking about them because with Papu Gomez there, Lamella there, they've got goal scoring options and they've got a range of playmaking. And they've got a La Liga where Barcelona have great attacking strength, but they've got defensive fragility. Real are res- a resurgent, but there's going to be a thing where Sevilla are battle hardened. Are Barcelona ropey at the bat though? I mean, maybe Garcia could be the answer because there's a pairing for PK. Maybe that could be our answer, but they really struggled at the centre-back spot as mm. did last year. Sevilla have got an opportunity to do something in Europe too because they're going to be really battle-hardened from the, the league race and also they have the benefit of no expectation. Mm. So Atleti for the Champions League is your hot take? Yeah. My hot take for the season is, actually, well, I said it on Carl's like, uh, prediction amnesty tweet that he did, Carl Anker. Uh, I said Danny Ng's Premier League gold boot. That's quite good. The golden boot tip is when all the chances tend to go through one person. That's a good shout, actually, Ings for golden boot. But I also think Ollie Watkins is such, so good at link-up play as well, that if they do play together, you know, with the signings they've got as well, like Leon Bailey has already started creating. Uh, they've got the only question well. for Ings is, will he get the bulk of the chances? You know, if, 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 he is going to be like, I think if, if him and Watkins play together, I think Ings will be like the more central. The primary, really yeah, like, the primary yeah. nine. And I think Watkins kind of needs a bit of that, actually. I think he needs that. He's good to play off somewhere. I need to think of a proper hot take though. Emmanuel Dennis, 15 uh, Premier League goals. That's ridiculous. What are you talking about? Well, why not? I'll put it out there. Listen, it's a hot take. You want a hot take? You got one. Yeah, but I mean, be sensible. You're a grown man. <laughs> it's never stopped me before. <laughs> uh, hot take. What about neither Manchester City nor Chelsea will win the Premier League? I mean, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good take. That's a good take though. Liverpool will win it then. That's a good take. Nice for Liga. Oh, steady on. <laughs> oh my God. Go on, there it is. Go on. Nice for Liga. I need to, I I, 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 the, the problem is this year, I don't have any faith in my hot takes. I don't know. I can't think of a scorcher. You just got to say it with your chest and then just never, ever back, you ne- never back down on it. That's I what I do. I think of a scorcher. I mean, if I was going to go for an absolutely nuclear Bundesliga take, it would be Stuttgart top four. Champions League. <laughs> Stuttgart Champions League. Ooh. It would never happen. I think Stuttgart could they, could, they could sneak into the top six this year, I think. But there's a lot of uh, un- uncertainty in that top six this season. Leipzig don't get Champions League. Leipzig don't get Champions League. That's a good take. There we go. There we go. There we go. Oh There's no, one. all of our American listeners have been like, fuck this. You know, like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Flip the tables. I, I was, you know, I didn't even really like these two English dudes anyway. And now they've just, I've got it. I've got They've come out I've with got. a take about Jesse Marsh. How dare they? I've got a hot take. Go on. I've got a hot take. Okay. The Berlin winter is going to be colder than the Canadian winter. Oh my God. What are you doing? Yeah, Canadians, yeah, come at me. What are, what are you, you doing? <laughs> I can't ask for a rating and review at the beginning of the show. And if you're going to drop shit like that. <laughs> come at me, Canadians. <laughs>
someone at the ringer's just like the you know like the ringer TVA. It's just <laughs> the like the variant, the RVA. Released. It's the RVA, and they've just <laughs> seen all of these like instead of having the timeline branching. It's just the numbers in Canada are plumbing. Right. Congo bombs the timeline. I've never seen anything like this before. It's a Canadian Nexus event. I said it for a Quang the Conqueror. I said it. it. No, that's it. We didn't, we didn't, you've just out wrongly outed the name. The name is Musa the Okwankara. (laughs) I think Kang's scary. Jesus. That's a hot take. Okay. So that's my hot take. I mean, that's just not true. That's just not like, Come on. We'll see. Sound, we'll see what you're sounding like now. You're sounding like a climate change denier. <laughs> uh, this podcast is silly, by the way. It is silly. Sorry, sorry. It's silly. It's silly. Let's get back on track. Next question, please. All right. This one from Rad underscore nauseam. Such a great handle. With the Premier League, this leads kind of leads on from the last question. With the Premier mm. League season being one game in and the takes with a capital T, I appreciate that. Already flying. What's the most wrong? Brackets and slash almost right. The two of you have ever been on something you've said about a player or team after a single match. This is tough because I don't think we tend to do stuff after one single game. No, no, not really. Not after a single game. Oh, no. Tuchel's Chelsea. After the Wolves game last year, loads of people were hating on them. Loads of people because it was nil nil. Do you remember? Yes, and there was loads the speed of people of the being like, was mind "ZH doesn't work there. This is what what's going on." Blah blah blah. That like, honestly, I think I made a point of saying like, I thought they were really good. Like I thought the you said you actually got in touch and you said for about sixty five minutes the way they moved the ball was unreal, mesmerizing. You actually said because yeah. you you saw the game live. I didn't. I think I was out that night, but you'd seen it and you said, "My goodness, you have to check out what they're doing." It was one of those like when you're like, "Wow, this is really really good." You did that with Spain at the Euros, actually. Spain, Spain Euros. Sweden. You said it. You were like, you were like, you were like, Spain were brilliant. The most wrong I've ever been though. I can't remember after a single game, but I, my hot take last season was that Arsenal would finish top four. <laughs> <laughs> the most wrong I've ever been about a player was David Bellion for Manchester really? United. Yeah, I saw him at Sunderland. Um, he seemed to have everything technically. And I really thought Bellion would go and do something extraordinary uh, as, you know, this is the highest level. Now, I think there was, Bellion had issues in the mid 2000s, you know, that United team, there was so much in transition. And when there's so much in transition, a young player like that can't get a run. You, the ideal thing for a young player like that is to kind of come on as a kind of sub four, a wide forward who's established and play like half an hour here, 40 minutes there, and then sort of bed in without too much scrutiny. And the problem with Bellion was there was so much in flux at United that he never got that. Mm. He never got that mentorship. Mm. The generation of players never got it, to be honest. And Bellion never really had the career that I thought he would have. I don't think it was for lack of talent, but I definitely got it wrong in terms of where I saw him going. And that was a shame because I think he, he actually coaches back in, back in France, now, back in Paris, I think. Red Star. Yeah, I think it's Red Star. Right, right, right. I think it's Red Star, yeah. Uh, Do you know what he's actually doing at Red Star? He's actually their creative director. Why do I love that so much? Yeah, well, shout out <laughs> to the guys at Le Ballon because um, they, they did some stuff with Red Star a few years ago. And, uh, God, that's so great. Yeah. Build, it's, it was really cool. I was just pulling this from the wiki page because I knew he was involved in some way. But, um, building links with the club and the world of culture and arts. They had, remember they that. had Vice sponsoring them for, one, for a bit. God. Should we take a quick break? Yeah, let's do it. Right, let's have this question from Criminal Whale. Daniel, you're stuck on a desert island. What's the one book you have with you? 
What's the one vinyl album? And what's the one condiment that makes it all okay? Okay, the one condiment is Dunn's River Caribbean seasoning. Without question, I don't even, there's not even, no, that's just the one. Strong. Nothing else. Yeah, Dunn's River. Um, the vinyl, sadly, I don't have my vinyls on me. I would say that uh, one of my favorite vinyls is, there's a track called Beyond There. Young Gun was the MC, a friend of mine actually back from school days, and RC. Beautiful song. Um, and I think Jest, is Jest on it? I think Beyond There, Jest, RC, and Young Gun. That's the vinyl. And the book. Oh, the book. I don't have it on me in the moment, but it's probably the book that has the greatest sweep of the human condition in it. And it's um, The Wind Up Bird Chronicle, Haruki Murakami just because the protagonist manages to keep his humanity despite being tested in the most horrifying ways. So yeah, those are the three. Hmm, okay. The one book I would have is probably something like, is there a book, I'm going to let you hang on one second, I'm just going to Google. How to survive on a desert island. How to stay alive, Bear grills. There you go. <laughs> the ultimate survival guide for any situation. That is the book that I've taken. <laughs> and I chose an existential book. Yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll take you with me when I get off the island. Um, condiment. It'd have to be some kind of hot sauce. Cholula, Tapatio, something like that. Because nothing, you know, I actually brought, I, I brought Dunn's River back into the country, Ryan. That's how deep it got. I actually, I, I made space mm. for a huge tub of it and it's changed my kitchen. Uh, the one record that I take, oh God. it is a really good question, but I'm just not clear of an enough of thought to answer questions like that. Uh, I'm looking at my records right now. Maybe it consistently, I think maybe the thing is consistently changes, doesn't it? Maybe. Yeah, that's the thing. Your- like I don't really ever, I don't really have like a, a favorite record it does constantly change i think it's probably something it'd probably have to be something quite long that i don't have to change the sides i think if i'm going to be on a desert island i'd probably take a double album compilation right maybe something like hmm it's a tough question i think maybe something off soundway like one of the either like the ghana sounds comps or something like that something like that or maybe just take a a couple of fella records. Oh no, I can only take one. Might just take ITT by fella. Fuck it. Because that's Fair like enough, really yeah, long. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I mean, but I think the, the variation of a double album comp would be good to have on a desert island. I think if you could only take one. If I had to take a, a, a compilation, no, a compilation or collection, I get the Royers then. Oh, nice. The Royers would be re- really great. And there's such a great variety in that too. The Virgin Ubiquity ones. Uh, I'm not sure which ones they are actually. I bought the, um, back in the days so I used to buy stuff on iTunes. It came out on BBE. Maybe it was this one. Yeah. There's like, a, there's like one. The white like, and the purple yeah, cover. There's like the a white, cream yeah. one. And then yes. there's a, like a red one, like which is the second one. It was the cream one. It was the cream one. Yeah, that's a good record, that. Yeah, hell of a record. There we go. Royers or Beyond There. Let's have one more music question. Yeah. From Gerald. What's your favourite Prince song? Sign of the Times. Is it? Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yes. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. It will always be my favourite Prince song. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the original version of Purple Music was a big one for me. Sign of the Times is great. It just has, it's epic, it's timeless, it's melancholic, it's Afrofuturistic, it's like, I, I don't know, I just, it just has, every, it feels, it felt like something in a time capsule when I first heard, I thought I was so young when I heard that, mm. like, I felt like it belonged to another time. Like, you could release it now. Oh, or yeah. You could release it now, 
or 40 years ago and it would be equally mm. amazing. Uh, the Ron Hardy remix of Traffic Jam is my curveball one because it's just an absolute monster tune. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. I think I'd probably say Purple Music. Sign of Times is great. 17 Days. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Should we do a serious one? From yes. Mustafa, Chocolate Moose. How could we responsibly discuss sports washing? There's rightly a lot of discussion about it at the minute in light of Messi's move to PSG, but I often worry that speaking about sports washing distracts from the horrible crimes themselves and thus achieves its intended goal. I was actually having a conversation with someone about this the other day because um, I've noticed that there are a lot of people who've kind of just been like, nah, fuck this shit, I'm out. And I get that. But also, my personal opinion is that, is that I think that anyone who knows about football or is aware of football is aware of whose ownership comes where, especially if the big ones like Manchester City or like PSG, et cetera, et cetera. It can be tricky because people who aren't at executive level of football, it's a, it's a very strange position because there's not actually anything you can do about it. Us talking about ownership models and stuff like that on Stadio or certain clubs' ownership isn't all of a sudden going to make football completely morally better. Right. So it's one of those things where I, f- I think you, you should never forget about that. And I think that there's off- obviously always caveats that can come with certain discussions around certain clubs. What we can do as fans or in certain levels of football media, if you like, um, I suppose that's what we're in, is just hold certain people accountable for what you can hold them accountable for or call them up on their bullshit. I think we did that with the Super League, for example. Do you know, I, would, I, I actually would go from another angle in the sense that with football clubs and them being these vast institutions that have so much social power and heft, if you, and this is my personal view, there's a thing that happened, I saw it during the Euros, where people were coming in to critique football and what was wrong with it and racism and so on. And what I noticed was football fans reject people who don't seem to love football as a game. Mm. And if you talk about sports washing almost exclusively, people are like, you don't actually like the things that we love about football. So if we fix these problems, will you still be a football fan and care about the game's direction? Or are you just using this? Are you just dropping into football to make a point about a wider social issue? So I think the reason why I like to mix up my conversations about sports washing with the social problems and also what's happening on the pitch is that people were like, this person is approaching in good faith. It's very important. So any institutional reform, we could be radical and be like, okay, burn the lot down, get rid of these institutions and build from scratch, which might be the truly radical thing, which is like, you know, all of it's broken, just fix it all. Or be like, people aren't realistically going to do that because the club's identities are so entrenched that I do think there's an element of working with what we have. And so when we talk about PSG, for example, we're always keen to talk about PSG's, you know, historic support, older support, and the fans and what they've been through. We talk about you Man City. You can do both. Yeah, exactly. Same with Man City. Like, you know, I, right. I grew up in Manchester and I saw Man City go to some very, very, very exactly. low levels so of the football pyramid. It's always about engaging with these clubs, these institutions, with all the nuance that exists in their history. Because that's how I think we get forward when we work with what we have to an extent. So that's why I like to, you know, we will go hard after sports washing. We'll go hard after what Qatar's done with the workers at certain points, but also other times we'll just talk about whether Kimpembe and Kera are gelling as a centre-back partnership. And I think it's about that whole, it's about showing the whole tapestry of what a club is for good and bad. I it's, think. it's a difficult thing to do. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I've, there have been times when, yeah, I've, I've kind of thought, well, what is the point in all of this? But yeah. also 
for us, it's a kind of different thing. Like for us, I think like football isn't just basically the best six clubs in Europe. No, no. Or, and as the Super League has pointed out, or just super clubs with problematic ownership models, so much of the joy comes outside of that, that if you give up on that because of those, th- of those reasons, then you're missing out on so much good stuff. Yeah. There's a lot wrong with football, for sure. And sports washing and the very fact that it is present is a shame. And that's not to criticise any football club, for example, specifically. Like You're judging like two levels of bad. Mm, right, Would right. you rather be owned by a billionaire who's the heir to the Walmart for- fortune or a sovereign state? It's why are these the options? Yeah. I think what you said is really interesting and I, think, and I agree with it. I don't think, as much as we would all like there to be huge reform in football at the very, very top level, parity across leagues around Europe, parity across uh, individual leagues domestically, more chances for more clubs to win, more clubs for the top players to be able to go to. Where football is at the moment, that doesn't happen. It, you can't change that in a preseason, for example. Mm. You can't all of a sudden say, okay, summer 2022, it's the women's Euros. Um, what we're going to do in the men's game is completely restructure everything so that when August comes around and the new season starts, it's, you know, there's parity across the board. Because where we're at now, it has been allowed to creep in and happen because of a number of different decisions that have been made along the line. I know it sounds really, really, really a bit of a leap, but like st- little things like the end of the two-year kit cycle, the hyper-commercialization of football, increase in TV revenue, agents put, or clubs actually, like because players get a lot of shit for this, but actually clubs agreeing to increase wages to a certain level that only a small amount of teams can afford to have them. Right. All of this moves into a direction where this becomes possible. And I also think of, um, you know, a changing dynamic in terms of like what fan bases are, the expansion of a fan base where it becomes less physical or less reliant on the physical and as reliant on the digital and global. It throws up different issues with football that I think it, it make it impossible for this to go away overnight. So in a very, very long-winded way and in a long, a long kind of like extension of what you said, I think that it's really important to never forget the darker side of what happens in football and appreciating the good things that football provides and not ignoring or forgetting about the bad things that go with that and do your bit, which however small that might be. For example, purely talking to someone about it may do some good down the line because you saw with the Super League. Yeah, that that's, came, that's the, that, great, the greatest that came possible through, example. That came through pressure. And I think that's what fans can do when they mobilise together is like they can pressure apply and- pressure, but pressure and, the, and, the, and the, um, the strength or confidence to apply pressure to certain things. It takes quite a while for that to develop. And I, exactly. And I'll just add to that pressure based upon a very strong sense of identity of what football should be. With the Super League, it was a very clear sense of this isn't football. Like with everything that's happened, everyone was quite, in a quite an encouraging way, in a quite positive way, was unified. And we know that many things have gone wrong with football, but we know that there is a line. And it was quite nice to know there were still red lines, if that makes sense. It was, it was nice to know that there were still things that like football as a whole would not accept, given everything else that's happened in football. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, I always joke about how I have some we have or we kind of have this like wide-eyed version of what we'd like football to be we're not naive enough to think that that's going to happen no the thing that i always say though is that it can happen 
it's just, I think I even wrote in the Super League piece or one of the pieces around the time that it's like, this is, this is something that has to start and from the jump has to be acknowledged as like a decade long process. It's not going to yes. be something like that can happen overnight. It has to be something that clubs and associations have to commit to in order to change over a while. Yeah. Cause you sit with, like, for example, we sit, look, we sit with huge transfers. We say with Neymar mm. the whole time, the shockwaves of the Neymar transfer are arguably still traveling, you know, yeah. in certain cases. So this, and, and again, the same with footballing reform, who knows what the impact of the super league will be in terms of the fan activism that that unleashed, because the bear in mind that happened also like in largely in empty stadiums. So mm. that happened like, you know, virtually on most of it was online in terms of the backlash. So yeah, who knows what that will spawn? Who knows what the impact of that, the rejection of the Super League will be? But yeah, yeah. great question. Thank you for letting us get existential. <laughs> like we ever need an excuse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Let's have one more question. Let's do it. All right, let's do this one from Ryan Teitman. Any guesses on who the new Always Watch team is this season? Personally, I'm excited about the young Americans at Venezia. Venice. Who is the new Always Watch? Ooh. Well, you see, you already said Sevilla. Um, I think Sari's Lazio could be a shout. Ooh. Oh, okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. Always, do you know what's so strange with this year, actually? Oh, do you know what? Roma. <laughs> oh, well. For, for the popcorn. Yeah, depends you're walking. Yeah, what you're walking. Yeah, if you're walking, yeah, for the popcorn, and for the popcorn element, for certainly. I, do you know what? I can't, I, I can say this. I haven't been, maybe it's the transfer window. Maybe it's the sort of the lack of, because there hasn't been a huge amount of transfer traffic compared with previous years. And normally the always watch comes out of a range of moves that have made a team thrilling. And it's normally like a team and they sort of, and this is the thing, because there's not that much money that's moved hands in football, the mid-level teams are normally the exciting ones. So mid-level teams have made exciting acquisitions are the ones to watch. Like Arsenal. <laughs> well, no, they're no. a mid-level team who spent 130 million pounds. They've, oh, no, just signed, they've just signed Odegaard. They've just signed Aaron Ramsdale. I, know, like, I, I can't call Arsenal a mid-level team. They, they finished they eighth, Moose. I know, I know, Ryan, but I don't want to accept literally you. a mid-table Premier League <laughs> don't club accept, who spent 130 million, like, million pounds in the transfer window. That's like, listen, if West Ham a couple of years ago had finished eighth and spent 130 million in the transfer window, including signing someone from Real Madrid, people would be like, West Ham could crack top four, you know. Oh, no, but it just feels wrong talking about Arsenal like this. I know it's right, but it feels wrong talking about that sense. So, yeah, maybe watch Arsenal. <laughs> Stuttgart's a shout, actually. I'd watch Stuttgart if you're a Bundesliga fan. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Maybe. I'd say Real Sociedad again in Spain. Just, uh, just... Ayo Tharbal is in ridiculous yeah. form. Okay, there were a couple of teams in Serie A. Serie A's back this weekend, obviously. You've got like Napoli. Gonna be, I'm going to be really intrigued to see what that Napoli's like this season. Especially with, look, this is the thing. Actually, yeah, the intangible of them having won Euro 2021, Euro 2020, sorry. And what the returning Insigne is going to be like. Insigne had like a starring role in that. So mm. there's always Spalletti that like, coming in. there's always that post tournament boost. Yeah, because Interleave a gap now, don't they? Interleave a gap now, which is yeah. interesting. The Serie is going to be mega fun this season, I think. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Let's do it. Hope everyone stays safe, stay well, get vaccinated if you can. Don't forget to check the rigger.com forward slash soccer. There'll be pieces, some pieces going up soon. Check Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram, Stadio Actress players on Spotify. 
playing out this episode on Foster Mangani. Moya Wanga, my spirit. You sent me this and I was listening to it. I thought it was amazing. So I went on another listen to one of the other tunes and I was like, oh, good album. This is like a gold mine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Honest Johns. And yeah, that's everything. Um, anything will happen, sir? I'm all good. No conspiracy theories this week from me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, much love, everyone. Have a lovely weekend and we'll be back with you on Monday. Catch you then.